Welcome to the Mary Shannon Bible Study with speaker, leader, and acclaimed Bible teacher, Mary Shannon. Every week, she'll dive deep into scripture using her unique blend of laugh-out-loud humor and hitting-you-between-the-eyes truth that we all need. So put on your big girl pants, because here we go. So on my little card, I, as I have laying there, as I'm just reviewing some of those stories, I just put on my little card, word equal God, was and with, just to remind me, all things made through him. And then I put beside that ruh, that also involves the spirit. We talked about that. Um, I put on here, in him is life. Why? He is the light of men. Life, light. Um, I also wrote, darkness cannot overcome conflict. Uh, there's the idea of witness. This, how, how will this be made known? Witness. So I put John the Baptist, voice of one, dot, dot, dot. Voice of what? Voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the path of the Lord, okay? The disciples, we're gonna see that the Father is a witness through the works. The scripture is a witness. So we're gonna have this idea of witness. Those who change are changed become witnesses. So you're gonna see that theme throughout. How about the fact that uh, many will reject him, but those who believe will become what? Children of God, okay? Not born, born from above. That's a theme, huge theme throughout. Um, we're gonna have this idea that the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. So this idea of a living temple and that to see this living temple, we see the glory of God as of the only son of the father, right? All of these are themes. Uh, he then calls him the lamb of God, the son of God, and the son of man from Daniel 7. All those were themes that are introduced in the first chapter. And so it's nice to have those handy right there when you're reading through and reviewing some of these stories, okay? We looked at the fact, last week I believe we ended with the temple right? Recap of the temple. And the fact that Jesus goes in, um, it's during Passover, there's animals there because of the necessity of that for Passover. And he goes in and he sees that the system has been corrupted and he shuts down the system. He clears the temple. And we see this prophetic sign because they ask him, what authority do you have to do this? And he says, what authority? Let me tell you. Destroy this temple in three days. Destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up again. And so he is prophesying that number one, the time of the, the actual temple will be coming to an end. We know that's AD 70 when the temple's destroyed. But not only that, he's saying it's coming to an end because the actual temple is here. And in this prophecy will be fulfilled with the empty tomb. You destroy this temple, and in three days, it will be raised up again. That he is this living temple, this idea that we see God's glory in him. Man cannot see the face of God and live, and so the glory of God is revealed to us through Jesus, this living temple. Um, don't forget that the whole point was that was a place where heaven and earth connected. It is a place where God met with man. All right, so the next one that we're gonna see is in John chapter three, we're gonna have a discussion with the rabbi. Now remember, these four portraits are pictures of Jewish institutions. Remember, there was the wedding, and then 
the temple, and now we're about to deal with a rabbi or the leadership, and then the fourth one is a what? The well, okay? So we're going to look at just these little portraits. Um, I think it, I don't want you to forget, I taught you last year the transition between chapter two and three, how awesome it is. Uh, John is a master. So if you look at the end of chapter two, look what he says. Um, But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. Isn't that the truth? See, he doesn't need anybody testifying to him about man. He's here to testify about God, but he doesn't need anyone to tell him about man because who knows man? Jesus knows man. He knows man. He knows what we're like. He knows what we're capable of. And he says, I I know man. So let me introduce you to one. Let's talk about one specific man. And I mean, he is the top of what Israel has to offer, right? Nicodemus, because he is the teacher in Israel. And so basically, Nicodemus shows up at night. You remember the story? I'm not going to go back through all the details, but he, he shows up at night and Maybe he's sincere. Maybe he's politicking. Hey, you know, from one to the other, we know that you're a man of God because, you know, we see the signs. So he's just kind of shooting the bull. But Jesus gets straight to the heart of the matter, right? He's like, yeah, we're not going to do this. Let's just, I know what's in man. I know what's in you. I know the situation. Let's cut to the point. And this is what he says. Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, there's one thing I didn't teach you last year that I forgot, and I just thought I'd point it out as something new. Do you see that word again? Look at your footnote. Do you have a a number by that word again? And then at the bottom, does your say it could also mean something else? From above, okay? That word uh, is anothen, A-N-O-T-H-E-N, in the Greek, and it literally can mean again, okay, like again, one more time, or repetition, or it can literally mean from above. I think probably what has happened is when they chose the meaning for that word, they based the meaning off of the fact that Nicodemus, what? Was not understanding. So they chose again. But it could be that Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a man is born from above, he will not see the kingdom. And Nicodemus um, did not understand him. And so because of that, Jesus just tries another angle. He just, he just continues to teach. Um, he says, truly, truly, in verse 5, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. So water and spirit. Remember, he is the teacher of Israel. And so he's talking about something born, to be born again, to be made anew. And he uses these two hyperlinks of water and spirit. If you look at your footnotes down there, it is going to also send you to Ezekiel 36. Okay, so let me show you this hyperlink. 
what should have come to mind to the teacher of Israel, who, right, knew the scriptures like the back of his hand. Ezekiel 36 is a prophecy about the restoration of Israel out of exile. All right, let me read to you some of it. Um, he, uh, Ezekiel prophesies to the mountain, and then he, uh, anyway, I think I'll start. He, he's prophesying about them coming back to uh, Israel, and then in verse 16 of 36, he says, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, when the house of Israel lived in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. Their ways before me were like the uncleanliness of a woman in her menstrual impurity. In other words, death, okay? Um, so I poured out my wrath upon them for the blood that they had shed in the land for the idols for which they had defiled it. And I scattered them amongst the nation. So he talks about that. And the fact that they had profaned the name of their God. And then he goes on to say, um, but then they came to the nation to wherever they came. They profaned my holy name and that people said to them, these are the people of the Lord. And yet they had to go out of this land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had proclaimed. So he's like, you guys did not represent my name well, Israel. So I'm gonna represent it myself. Um, but I'm gonna bring you back for my name's sake because you are my chosen people. Then look at 22, verse 22. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned amongst the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned amongst the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Listen to this part. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle you with clean what? Water. By the way, what was uh, Ezekiel was a priest. Okay, so what kind of water would he be sprinkling them with? Holy waters, uh, purification water, um, and he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your unclean, uncleanliness and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. Then listen to this. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. And I will put, a spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you, a, am I reading correctly? And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you. This is Nicodemus he's talking to. He's saying, no, there needs to be a new birth. Something new is happening. Unless you are born of water and spirit, okay, then you will not see the kingdom of heaven. All of this should have come alive to Nicodemus. And then in Ezekiel 37, what's next? What is that amazing story? The dry bones, right? When he speaks, right? In verse 37, 7, it says, so I prophesied as I commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound to behold a rattling and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked and behold, uh, there was sinew on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Why? Flesh begets flesh. Spirit 
births spirit. And so he said, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. This is the picture. Nicodemus, you know, unless you be born of water and spirit, you will not see the kingdom of God. For physical births, physical, and spiritual births, spiritual. And he is working this theme. Uh, Let's read a little bit more on John 3, just to remind you. Nicodemus says, how can these things be? And he answers, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? Truly I say to you, We speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how in the world will you believe the heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. How do you not know this? And remember, he even says, I've even tried to talk to you about the wind. Do you remember that in the chapter? No one sees from which the wind comes. Do you see how that's tied into Ezekiel 37? Speak to the breath. And it says, and the wind from the four directions of the earth came. You couldn't even tell where it was coming from. But it came and it breathed on those bones and it came alive. And he's trying to make Nicodemus understand by talking his language. And he says, you're the teacher of Israel and you don't understand? I am using things you should understand. How can I possibly explain to you heavenly things? The only one that understands that is the one that came from God. And guess what? It's me. And just like the bronze serpent will be lifted up in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Wow, Nicodemus's mind should have gone right back to the story in Exodus, right, where I taught you last year, and they're being stung by venomous snakes. And you have that whole crazy story about how God tells Moses to build a bronze serpent and to lift it up on a pole when they were just told not to worship any images and idols and he's over in, you know, in wood shop or, you know, crafting this thing while they're dying, their children are dying and it's horrible. And they're like, what are you doing? And he lifts up this serpent and he says, if you want to live, look and live. And that was the whole thing. Look and live. Look at what? Look at what's killing you. Jesus, he who had no sin became sin on the cross so that we could have his righteousness. We must look at what is killing us. We must believe that he is the Christ, the son of God. And by believing, we have life in his name. He is going over and over the themes that he talked about. The fact is some will not receive him, but those who believe will be called what? The children of God, not born physically of the flesh or the will of man, but born what? from God, from above. And he is teaching Nicodemus. He is using the scripture that Nicodemus knew wholeheartedly, those hyperlinks that took him back. Something new is happening. There's restoration. 
They, uh, they're coming back. They're a new nation and be restored. How? By water and spirit. I will replace your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit inside you, Nicodemus. I'm explaining you things about the wind. The next chapter, the wind blew, the breath came, and it made the bones alive. Do you see what is happening, Nicodemus? No. Oh, you're the teacher of Israel? How can you not understand this? How will this happen? Let me tell you how this will happen because the son of man will be lifted up like the bronze serpent. And then what is the very next section? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him would have everlasting life. He, he's teaching these themes over and over and over. And remember, this is why John is choosing these portraits. Because think about it. We started with a wedding celebration that ran out of wine. And he tells us about one that'll never run out of wine. He tells us about the best wine and the best wine being saved for last. And then he goes in to the temple that was supposed to be the connection between heaven and earth where God met with man and what had happened? It had become corrupt. And so he performs a prophetic sign predicting the end of the temple and as they know it and presenting a new temple. Who? Him. And now this is supposed to be the teacher of Israel. This guy, Nicodemus, and he doesn't understand. And he is telling him physical birth, physical and spiritual birth, spiritual you must be born again. Do you see what he's doing? Jesus is going in to every one of these institutions and trying to teach him, teach and reveal himself. Why? They're signs. They're pointing to him, who he is, that he is the fulfillment of everything they have possibly been looking for. And then where does he go next? In John 4. He goes to a well, right? So this one, we, uh, through the book of John, you have all kinds of themes with water. This is one. Um, it's about the fact that people um, drink from existing earthly wells, and when they do, they will be thirsty again. That's the theme. But he is trying to make her understand that there is a well she can drink from, which is the well of living water, him, in which she would never thirst again. And this water will spring up in her for eternal life. So in one story, we've seen water, uh, purification water, turned into wine, which represents joy, abundance, obedience, um, and the blood of Christ. But this time, it is the water that's going to transform a person by bubbling up as living water inside. Also, what is another thing? We have gone from Nicodemus to now who? this Samaritan woman. And we find out that God has other sheep, that he has come for all people. Uh, we talked in detail about this story last year, if you go and look, because there's some hard topics in this story. There's racism. There are gender issues. There are socioeconomic issues. We talked about the fact of, in my humble opinion, I think this girl has been, uh, I think she has continued to be victimized through the pages of scripture for generations and generations, how this has been taught. 
women did not have the right in this day to initiate divorce. This woman has been cast aside. She has been betrayed. She has been abandoned. She is not a whore. She is a victim. And not only that, she's a Samaritan, so she is a race that is hated by the Jews. And not only that, she is poor. Because at this point, life has kicked her in the teeth so hard that I believe she's living with someone just to survive. And so you have this entire scene of the difference as he is out uh, reaching people. On one hand, you have Nicodemus, and on the other, you have the Samaritan woman. What do they have in common? They both need a savior. Isn't it interesting how hard, which one found it a little bit more difficult than the other? I, I can't help but think of the story, again, of the prodigal right? You have the prodigal son, you have the older brother. The prodigal goes out, he experiences and realizes when he ends up in a pig pen um, what he has done. And when he returns, when he meets the grace and love of the father, right? He is blown away and we see him enter into this amazing party. But in the story of the prodigal, the older son who thought that his works had earned the love of the father, right? At the end of that story, we don't know if he went in the party or not. And when he experienced the grace and love of God, he's still standing outside the door. So I think it's really interesting. You kind of have this same idea here. Um, and the fact that, you know, when she, when she met Jesus, she immediately became one serious, what's another theme? Witness. She changed her whole town. Um, she changed that whole place and brought them to the one that she had met, continuing to say he knew everything about me. What was that point? He knew everything about me, and he sat down with me anyway. He ministered to me anyway. He loved me anyway. He is the Messiah. And so you have that, that whole idea. I also love the connection of wells. That's the place, man, in the Old Testament, right? It's where I need to go. I need to go sit down at a well. <laughs> and hope that, uh, well, who, who would I hope? I almost said Jacob, and I was like, no. Uh, I don't know. I'll think about that. But, um, and, and very often in the scripture, the well was the place, right, where it all began, where they met together. I mean, can you think of some? Isaac and Rebecca, right? Abraham sent Eliezer off to go back to this well, and Eliezer, the, uh, the servant, the right-hand man of Abraham, found Isaac, a, a bride. And then you so see you have Isaac and Rebekah. And then what about Jacob? Who did he see at the well? Rachel. And that started a whole saga, didn't it? All right. And so, but here you have the son of God that goes to a well. And look who he finds. The one that's been cast out. And he brings her in. And he's beginning to show, right, that he is, going back to this wedding idea, that he is gathering his bride. What does it look like? Go make disciples. Go into Judea and Samaria and into all parts of the earth. God loves all people. He went to the lowly and he pulls them in. This idea of racism should be junk to you. 
There should be none. Uh, gender issues, right? God says that in the family of God, there is no Greek, there is no Jew, there is no male, there is no female, there is no slave. And so you, you see this idea of him gav- gathering up um, his bride, and I just love it. Okay, so what have we dealt with? We dealt with the themes, and then we dealt with a wedding. Do you have them in your mind or not? You just ignoring me? Talk to me. I don't care if it's videoed. I mean, if they want to be a part of our group, they'll show up on a Tuesday morning. Uh, uh, So what is it? What was the first portrait? Wedding. What was the second one? Temple. A rabbi. And a well. Good for you. All right. And all of those, right, were pointing to something. There were, you can see the themes throughout, okay? I told you to do your homework. Then we go, and now we're dealing with... um, Jewish festivals, okay, holidays. Um, The first one that we're going to look at, that there's stories around a certain holiday or holy time is Sabbath. And so in John 5, it is the time of Sabbath. Now, I think this is so fun how they're all tied in, right? Because once again, you have kind of this water theme because Jesus is coming in and he goes to the pools of Uh, Bethesda, right? And there's a man who has been uh, paralyzed for 38 years. And what is he waiting on? He's waiting on the stirring of the water and Jesus is about to stir things up. So I love that. And and so what is he thinking? Uh, Well, we're finding out that, um, oh, they think, right, that every now and then an angel comes down. This is their idea and stirs the water, and whoever can get into the water, they will be healed. And it's so funny, this whole play, because he's sitting there waiting for the stirring of the water. Jesus comes in, is about to stir things up, because who's walking in? What did he just tell the woman at the well? No, if you knew who was talking to you, you'd be asking me for a drink. Why? Because the water I have to offer you will well up for eternal life. And so here comes this uh, stirring of water just walking through. And he, you have this whole idea, and he heals the man on the Sabbath. You can go back and uh, listen to that story, but he heals the man. And then for a little while, he's hidden. Remember, he goes away, and, and the man is carrying his mat and walking around. And wouldn't you be? Whoever healed you says, pick up your mat and walk. I'd be picking up my mat and walking through and experiencing the joy of the Lord and what true Sabbath is and this whole bubbling up inside. I mean, he had to be a picture of that until the religious leaders come and they lay a burden on him, right? Isn't Sabbath to be free of the burden of work? But nope, they laid it right back on him and he goes off for a while. He comes back. And then when he does, he gets into a controversy with the Pharisees. What are they mad about? That he was working on the Sabbath, right? And so they start this discussion, and then I love what he says. He goes, oh, oh, okay, so working on the Sabbath is the problem? Well, look at verse 17. But Jesus answered them, well, my father is working until now, and I am working. In other words, how does he answer them? Oh, Okay, well, my father works on the Sabbath, so I work on the Sabbath. Oh, my goodness, all right? Uh, Basically, what theme is happening again, by the way? This whole 
was God with God, this whole Trinity thing. He is constantly trying to explain that to them. My father is working on the Sabbath. I am working on the Sabbath. Why? Because we are, we are one, right? And you have this whole idea here of Jesus was not doing away with the Sabbath per se, not breaking the law. What he was doing away with is he wasn't obeying what they had made the Sabbath. The, the laws of man that had been added to it. Because the point of Sabbath, to be quite honest, was the garden back for a day. Sabbath was there for wholeness. Sabbath was, and they knew that, because when it came to life issues, that's what should have, it was okay to do those things on the Sabbath. But Sabbath, think about it. Sabbath was made for rest. Rest from what? Work which was the burden, the curse, um, that basically you got to cease from work for today. What was the other one? So rest, I think I gave you three R's one time if you remember the notes. Rest, remembrance. He says, and in the Old Testament, he says, and while you're experiencing this day, remember what the Lord your God has done. Remember that he freed you from Egypt and he goes into this whole thing. So remember who I am. And let this be a sign to all the other nations. So relationship, rest, remembrance, relationship. That's what Sabbath is all about. Resting from toil. Why? So that we can sit and we can meditate and we can remember how good our God is and what he has done. And it doesn't mean you can't, you can't do anything. Go on a hike, do something different. Break the burden of your schedule and remember and be refreshed about who God is and how good he is. And then let that be a sign of your relationship, that you make him the most important thing and that people see in you that he is. It, it's freedom. Do you understand that? It is the garden back for the day. They did not have to go out and work on that day and gather on that day. It was provided the day before so that they could have the rest. And he is trying to make them understand what they have turned it into. And so, but in verse 18, what happens? You're like, I don't know. I can't find verse 18. Oh, here it is. Verse 18, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, according to them, but he was even what? calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So they know exactly what he's saying. They go on to say, uh, well, just let me read some of this and see if you can pick up all the themes from chapter one. He says, okay, I'm gonna tell you the truth. I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own cord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. Are you kidding me? They're like, you're upset about Sabbath? The father raises the dead, so guess what? I raise the dead. Why? We are one. I what I am God and I was with God. I came from above. He is constantly telling them, the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son. 
Woo, that is Daniel chapter seven right there. He's the son of man. All judgment has been given to him. All dominion has been given to them. That all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Who does not, whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. I'm telling you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has life. Is that a theme? Whoever receives me will be granted the identity to be a child of God, not born of man's will, but born from above, right? He was the life. He, all life is in him. He is the light of men, all these themes. Truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here where the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And the light has come into the world. And he is the life of men. Life is in him. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the what? Son of man. They knew exactly what he was saying. That's why they wanted to kill him. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to resurrection of life and those who have done evil to judgment. And then he goes, but hey, if you don't want to believe me, let's talk about it. In your law, a person's own testimony is not enough. And then that whole next section, he's like, my testimony is not enough, although let me be clear, it's true. But it's not just me. You talk to John the Baptist. He told you. Matter of fact, my father is testifying by my works. The scriptures have testified. I have plenty of witnesses. What's the point? The darkness wants to overcome what? The light, but it cannot. Here is the judgment, John 3, 19. The light has come into the world. It has illuminated everybody, right? But many will turn back to the darkness because their deeds are evil. I mean, he is... Are you beginning to understand how John writes? That he is always enforcing these themes. We move on. I'm just giving you the highlights. John 6 starts a new one. So we came out of Sabbath, this whole idea, oh, you got Sabbath all wrong, okay? Sabbath is not a burden, it's freedom, that's what it is. It's about wholeness, and that's what I just did in front of you. I made somebody who was bound free and whole, and you tried to bind him up again. One of my favorite ones is when it's not in Gospel of John, it's where Jesus, the woman, is tied in knots, basically. It is the most beautiful picture of Sabbath to me. This woman is tied in knots, it says. So you've ever seen a physically handicapped person that literally their body is so hard and tied in knots. And when he heals her, it says that, and she was released. Wouldn't you have loved to have seen that one? Is that not the most beautiful picture of what Sabbath? They had bound these people up with so many rules that they ruined the day that they should have been relaxed and worshiping the Lord for how sweet and good he is and remembering all that he had done and enjoying relationship. And they were bound by all these rules. And he's showing them this stuff. He's showing them how they're off. So we go from Sabbath and then we go into Passover. Okay, this Passover in chapter six, where is it happening? It's not in Jerusalem. He's not in Jerusalem right now. Where is he? He's out in the wilderness 
okay? And so we have the whole scene now where it's Passover, all the pilgrimages are coming, pilgrims are coming, they're out in the wilderness, and he provides the bread, the feeding of the 5,000, right? And so if it's Passover time, what are they thinking about? What are they there to celebrate? Moses, uh, the plagues being freed out of Egypt, um, passing through the waters, coming out into the wilderness, and God provided them what? Manna. Their forefathers ate manna in the wilderness and how God led them by day and night. And so they're, they're remembering all of this about Passover. And they remember that when Moses left in Deuteronomy, he said, be looking for someone what? Like me. And they refer to him as the prophet. So now they're seeing all this stuff. It's Passover time. Here Jesus is, and he's feeding, he, he brings down bread. He multiplies this bread, and they're like, oh, ding, here he is. This is the prophet like Moses. He, Moses, he's bringing us bread from heaven, right? And so they try to make him king. What's the problem? Jesus is like, you're missing the point. It is not about me bringing you bread from heaven, I am the bread from heaven. This is who I am. And so he says, I am the bread from above. Your forefathers ate manna in the wilderness and died. Don't work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the son of man, y'all know that term by now, will give you. Listen, you're missing the point. Get your eyes off this kingdom and on to the other one. Quit, isn't this the same thing he told the woman at the well? This well, these earthly wells, you're just gonna keep, have, keep coming back because you'll always be thirsty. It doesn't satisfy. What's he saying? Quit working for food that fills your belly for a moment because you're always gonna have to come back because it never satisfied. No, get your eyes off this earthly kingdom and onto the heavenly, I am the bread of life, true life is found in me. There's our theme, right? So what must, what is the work they said? And he goes, believe. That's what the work is. And guess what? Look at verse 41. What'd they do? They grumbled. That's hilarious. What's the scene? Passover, the wilderness, Moses. What did those people do the entire time they were out there? Grumble, ain't nothing new under the sun. They're still grumbling. They're looking at the bread of life standing in front of them and they're grumbling. Um, verse 47 and 48, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Oh my goodness. And so instead of backing away from the analogy when they don't understand, what does he do? He doubles down. He's like, no, I'm gonna continue the analogy I'm showing you. What do you, I am the bread of life. So what is the works of eternal life? Believe, what does that mean? You need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. How does that analogy work? What makes sense? You need to 
take me in. You need to apply me. You need to internalize me for your life. This is what he is saying. And then he connects the eating with abiding. So he says, um, they're like, oh my gosh, he wants us to eat his flesh. And, and they go, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Do you remember what we read a minute ago when it was talking about he's explaining the Trinity even more? The Father has life in himself, it said, and he has granted it to the Son to have life in himself. What does he say right here to us? You have no life in you. How are we going to get it? We take him and we bring him into us. It is this whole analogy of bringing me in, eating my flesh and drinking my blood. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. So he is trying to introduce them to this idea of the fact that he is in the Father and the Father is in him and they have life in themselves. They are the lives of man. Physical births, physical. Only spiritual can birth spiritual and we don't have that in us. So how do we get it? Through him. And when we believe in him, the life we consume him, we apply him, we take him in the analogy, we eat his flesh and drink his blood and he abides in us, right? I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man abides in me, there'll be life and he will bear much fruit. It's the whole idea of John 17, John 17, 20, 22. When he's doing his high priestly prayer, he says this, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. There's that witness theme, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they might be one, even as we are one. Do you see how he keeps building on this theme? And so this whole idea is that we take him in. We go right back to the tale of two what? Seeds. That's what we do. I will put hatred between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. You will bruise his heel. He will crush your head. There will be two seeds. There will be the physical that leads to death and there will be the spiritual that leads to life. And he's been saying this from the beginning, that if we believe that he is the Christ by believing, by bringing him in and applying, we will become children of God. That which is dead will become alive. We will be born from above. Does that make any sense to you? This is good stuff. What does it mean to be born again? That's what it means. Um, I wanna read a couple more things. Look at 60 through 71. And it says, and when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? They're like, dang, he was on fire today. This is hard stuff. Huh? Do you get it? I'm not sure I get it, but okay. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were what? Grumbling. 
about this said to them, do you take offense at this? I love that, offense. I want you to see something, 1 Peter 2, 7 through 9, then we'll come right back to that. So the honor is for you who believe, for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become a a cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, oh, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. Do you see a John theme right there? Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You are the children of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He's like, you gonna let, you gonna stumble over this? Because we're either gonna stumble over Jesus or he's gonna be the cornerstone that we stand on. And it says that they were offended. He says, and then I love what Peter says. Um, well, he goes on to say, do you take offense at this? Verse 62, then what if you were to see the son of man ascending to where he was before? Are they gonna see that, the disciples? Some, they're gonna see him ascend from the Mount of Olives. It is the spirit who gives life. He's trying to explain to them again. The flesh is no help at all. What I'm talking about cannot be given from man to man. It is born from above. The word that I've spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. That was John. Remember that portrait thing where he turns his face and looks at us? It gives us some commentary. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father grant him. This is all spiritually discerned. After this, many turned away and he looked at Peter and he said, do you want to go away? Or he looked at him and he said, do you want to go away as well? And Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. There you go. He is constantly teaching these themes. Sabbath, you've got it all messed up. You've got it burdened down. I'm showing you what it is. Sabbath is about being whole. It is about rest. And by the way, he will fulfill Sabbath so that we have rest with God. And then he goes over to the Passover and he is trying to share with them at this Passover, right, that I am the bread of life. He is constantly teaching through these themes. So what have we looked at so far? What was the first one? A wedding. I saved the best for last. I replaced the purity water with my blood, with the symbol of abundance and joy and abundance. I started with a wedding, and guess what? You know what you get to look forward to? One day the father will say, son, go get your bride. And there will be a banquet like you've never seen, a banquet so good that it's got steak with the meat in it and the best wine you've ever drank, and it will continue. It will never run out, I promise you that, because it is in my blood. We, the best is coming. That's what he's saying. And then what did he, where did he go next? The temple. This whole idea of God meeting with man, the connection of heaven and earth. He's like, all of that was a sign to begin with, but I'm gonna tell you it was pointing at me. 
The way you're doing things, no, I'm shutting down the system. This system is coming to an end because it don't work. Man is depraved. I am the temple. Kill me and I will raise again in three days, right? I am the temple. And by the way, when the spirit of God dwells inside of us, what are we? We are the temple of God. And so he is showing them that he is fulfilling all of these things. I'm the connector between heaven and earth. In me, you meet God. That's what he's telling them. What was next? The rabbi. <laughs> I know what's in man. Let me introduce you to one. <laughs> the best that Israel has to offer. And he's like, your good works aren't going to cut it. Right? You're not understanding. Physical versus physical. It is spiritual that bursts spiritual. You must be born from above Nicodemus. I know you don't understand. I'm trying to explain to you that the wind will come from all four directions. You don't even know where it's coming from. You will hear it, but it is the thing that will bring these bones to life. You must be born again. How do you not get this, Nicodemus? Something new is happening. Restoration is here. It is coming, and you must be born not just physical, but spiritual, of water and spirit, and he's missing it. You're the teacher of Israel. A man must be born again. And he said, how's this going to happen? I'll tell you, because the son of man will be lifted up like the bronze serpent and all who believe for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And he's teaching him. And then we go from this man, the rabbi, to where? <laughs> to the well. To the well. To the one who was just trying to be satisfied by the world and just kept getting kicked in her teeth. And he's like, not only is this my bride, this is my bride. And I'm going to meet her at the well, and I'm going to get down on her level, and I'm going to talk to this woman and say, oh, baby, I know you're thirsty. This world does not satisfy. But if you knew who was talking to you, you would be asking me for living water. And he begins to share with her, listen, there is coming a time it's not about race. I've always loved all people. It's not about gender. It's not about economics. You will worship God in spirit and truth. And she becomes an amazing witness. And he begins to show us that his people are going to be all people. He has other sheep. And then he goes back and he ends up again at what? We go back to what's next? The religious, and it's the Sabbath. And he goes back to hit that institution again. Yeah, why are you working on a Sabbath? Well, my father's working, so I'm working. It's the same. This is what Sabbath is about. And then he goes from Sabbath to Passover. I am the bread of life. Do you see how awesome John is? He has set up every theme in chapter one, and he is showing you every portrait that is going back and pointing to those themes. Why? Because he has a purpose, and that is I have written these things so that you may be fully confident that Jesus is the Messiah, not just in title, but that he has fulfilled everything the Messiah is, was supposed to do and will do. And by believing that, you will have life, that you will be saved, that the grave will open and you will rise up to eternal life. That's what he's telling you. And he is painting this picture. When we come back, we will look at the fact that we go from Sabbath to Passover. We'll look at the Feast of uh, Tabernacles again. There's a bunch of stories. I'm just going to pick a little bit 
uh, the Feast of Tabernacles when he literally says, I am the living water. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Oh, how beautiful that is. The Feast of Tabernacles. And then what is the last one? Hanukkah. And then guess what? Right in there, we're ready to begin to slowly go back through the stories. Not too shabby. What I taught in one year, almost we've done in three Bible studies, right? Uh, was it helpful? Who, who was here last year uh, that went through all the detail? Was it helpful to go back and do kind of the bird's eye view then to see it? Because we get in the nitty gritty of the story, but then I just think it's so beautiful, although it's good for people who weren't here because now I've kind of caught you up a little bit, but it's good because we go back and it's, it's nice to see the big picture of what John is actually doing in this story. Um, I remember when I taught uh, young people, one of the best thing I ever did was teach them the first seven weeks of class, they had to do the um, 44 motions to the Old Testament. I made them learn them. And they not only had to learn them, they had to present them in front of the whole class. And so basically, they had to do an outline of the whole Old Testament. The beauty of that is, is they had the big narrative. And then when we came back later and I taught the nitty gritty of the stories, they knew exactly where it fit and it made so much sense. And now all of them are like grown and having babies, but they call me every now and then and they go, Hoffpower, I can still do creation, fall, flood, nations, 4,000 years, Ur, Persian Gulf, Salt, Sarah, Abraham, Lot, Terra. And I'm like, see, I go, and they're like, we can, I can still go to church and somebody will give a message and I'm like, yep, I know where that is. I know what the book of Judges is, you know? Deborah, Gideon, Samson, right? Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And so it's good to back up and see that. Okay, so continue your homework. You should have a card with the themes. You should be now reading through the next stories and you should be highlighting or showing where you're seeing those themes show up because this is what he's proving, all right? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. I thank you that we get to dive deep in your word. Lord, I pray that all the little nuggets that you would personally apply them to our lives. Um, apply them, Lord. Whatever it is, there was something today as we learned that in the heart of each woman, they went, oh, I needed that today. So expand on that this week. Um, bring them back to me. Thank you so much for what the word does is miraculous. It, it changes our heart. It changes our mind. I feel like, Lord, when we study it, I do hear the bubbling of the living water inside. That really keeps me alive and focuses me on the right things. So thank you for that. God, may we hide it deep in our heart. We sure love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Mary Shannon Bible Study. Be sure to subscribe. Shannon also hosts the hilarious and heartfelt Mary Shannon's Table podcast, where along with friends, they chat about life, faith, and leadership. Check out the show now and subscribe. If you want to connect with Mary Shannon, go to Instagram at itsmaryshannon or visit itsmaryshannon.com.